0: What was that ruckus? Uh, what ruckus? I was just in my office and I heard a ruckus. Could you describe the ruckus, sir? Travel back in time to the 80s, reliving the music. You can't have the Pretender's first album. That's mine.
1: I bought it. You did
0: not. The catchphrases.
1: Did you have a brain tumor for breakfast?
0: And the wannabes.
1: Sometimes I see you dance around the house in my underwear. Doesn't make me Madonna. Never will.
0: Because just
2: like you, we're stuck in the 80s. Can
1: you say stuck in the 80s? Welcome to Stuck in the 80s our brand new podcast on tampa bay.com i'm gina vivanetto columnist for tbt
2: hi and i'm steve spears the online news editor for sptimes.com
1: um what are we going to talk about today steve <laughs>
3: <laughs> does barry manilow know you're playing an old podcast steve hello are you there you know i can answer that right now brad that'd be a no no for me because
2: uh i'm savoring the nostalgia of my nostalgia <clears throat>
1: Uh, excuse me, Steve, I, I think there's been a mistake. I, I know it's a podcast, but I don't think I belong in here.
0: Yes, yeah, Steve, you know, there's not supposed to be any monkey business. Come on, Marty, get in the spirit of things. We just turned 10 years old. You, my friend, are old enough to collect Social Security. The podcast, I will admit, is only 10. Oh, and by the way, that clock's 20 minutes fast.
1: Hey, don't be mean to Steve. He has just as many feelings as you do, and it hurts just as much when someone steps all over them.
3: Can't we all just agree that it's time to redo this particular podcast? I mean, what was it? 14 minutes long? And when I say podcast, I mean podcast. I do not mean a single word repeated a thousand times. Is that clear, Spearzy?
1: Yeah, how the heck do you cover a movie like The Breakfast Club in only 14 minutes? Uh,
2: It's a long story.
0: Longer than 14 minutes? Okay,
2: Marty. You just bought yourself another Saturday, mister.
3: Can you hear this? Want me to turn it up? Maestro? Hit it. It is now
2: 7.06. You have exactly 8 hours and 54 minutes to think about why you're here. Ponder the error of your ways.
0: what if i lose my temper you're taller man totally totally
1: he's just doing it to get a rise out of you just ignore
0: him sweet you can ignore me if you try. sporto what you get along with your parents well if i say yes i'm an idiot right you're an idiot anyway but if you say you get along with your parents, well, you're a liar, too. I don't I don't like my parents either. I mean, I don't... Look, I could see you getting all bunged up for them making you wear these kind of clothes. But face it, you're a Neo-Maxi-Zoom dweeby. Why are you here? Why are you here? I'm here today because, uh... because my
1: coach and my father don't want me to blow my ride. So you get treated differently, because, uh... Coach thinks I'm a winner. So does my old man. It's about how involved I am in what's happening to me.
2: Now, why don't you tell me why you're really in here?
0: My god, are we gonna be like our parents?
1: Not me. Ever. It's unavoidable. It just happens.
2: What happens?
1: When you grow up, your heart dies.
0: Who cares?
1: I care. You want to know what I did to get in here? Nothing. I didn't have anything better to do.
2: Back in the 80s, it's your host, Steve Spears, and today, 10 years to the day that we began this podcast, we're here to redo show number one. We honor The Breakfast Club on its 30th anniversary.
0: So it's sort of social, demented and sad, but social.
2: With me for this historic occasion, for the first time ever, or at least the first time that I can remember, we have three co-hosts with me for today's attention. Please say hi to Brad in LA, Carol Jansen, and Marty Yu.
0: Congratulations, Steve. On 10 uh, years of consistent podcasting, semi-consistent.
3: I think 10 uh, years of navel-gazing is uh, pretty amazing, frankly.
1: <laughs> hey, being bad feels pretty good, huh? Don't
2: mess with a bull, young man. You'll get the horns.
1: Uh, 10 years.
2: Yeah, it was sometime in – this, this actually, actually might be the day. We sat down, me and Gina Vivanetto, at a table, like in just in the middle of the newsroom, with a digital tape recorder and two little mini microphones, and we recorded fourteen minutes of The Breakfast Club.
3: Of the the lowest key podcast you've ever heard.
2: <laughs> it sounds like <laughs> I'm asleep. <laughs> it's, very it's very casual. Oh my god. I listened to it again probably for the first time all the way through yesterday, and I could it really sounded like someone just roused me from a nap.
1: We're gonna talk about the Breakfast Club today, which was such a pivotal, important, great movie if you grew up in the 1980s, and is still uh, a really great movie today and holds up against time.
2: That movie is now officially 20 years old, same as my diploma, <laughs> believe it or not. It's in much better condition, though. The uh, When was the last time you saw it?
1: Um, I just bought it on DVD a couple months ago. I haven't yet played it again, but I haven't seen it in many, many years, but I can... You know, like like so many people our age and younger, I can you know recite the lines along with everybody i 've seen it so many times, dozens and dozens of times
2: uh, for those who don 't know we we did start this as just me and Gina. It was started at the St Petersburg Times, which is now the Tampa Bay Times, and our first producer, the first maestro, was a guy named Brendan Watson, who was an intern uh, the only person young enough to know how to actually podcast. So we <laughs> we recorded like the the audio and we just gave it to him and said, do whatever you have to do to this. And a couple of days later he gave us the uh, the completed product which is full of things that you'll never hear again in Stuck and history. There's no there's no sign off at the end. It cuts into a song and it doesn't make any sense.
1: Bowling for soup. Seriously. Yeah, nineteen eighty five.
3: It just
2: seemed like the thing to do at the
3: time and well, and, the, um, and the music underneath the whole thing the little beep boop soundtrack. beep boop, boop, <laughs> boop, boop beep boop, boop beep boop boop it is kind of annoying
2: It's just whole, odd <laughs> it was supposed to be um, I think I've told the story it was supposed to be a segment in another larger podcast that the paper was doing so so we were supposed to we were going to be one of the first seggies. And um, it turned out they, they wanted something closer to five minutes long. And we ended up giving them 14. So they just said, well, why don't you become your own show? Wow. So if you just keep your clam shut, this would never would have happened. Yeah. Yeah, hey, exactly. Lucky
1: for us. Yeah.
2: So we picked Breakfast Club for the first one ever because we thought we might be able to do three of these total. And maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe one of them should cover the, what we considered at that time to be the most important movie of the 80s.
1: Kind of low hanging fruit,
2: yeah. Well, I mean, if you were going to do a podcast on
3: the eighties, I mean, yeah, how many of you would pick Breakfast Club as your first topic? It would be on the list. I mean, you wouldn't dive into you know obscure cover bands. It's my
1: favorite over uh, Ferris.
3: The movie or the podcast? Oh no, the movie.
2: No, I, I think I owe you an apology, sir. Well, I should say you do. Who would have guessed that our second podcast would have been all about a Paul Anka? <laughs> Nobody.
3: Nobody. I think all, even after you recorded it, you wouldn't have guessed that. How'd you,
0: how'd you pick that one?
3: Gina was real assertive on what
2: she wanted to, to cover in the shows. And she had the idea. Paul Anka had just come out with an album of 80s covers. And she thought that would be a good one to do. And so we,
3: we tackled it. She really it. liked it from listening to the show again this week.
2: Yeah. She loved it. I couldn't stand it. So. <laughs> And hence began the the dynamics of the show where you know one person loves something and one person hates something. It's good radio.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, Speak for yourself. Do you think I'd speak for you? I don't even know your language.
2: So a few months ago, Brad and I started talking about what the idea would be for a a 10th anniversary show. And we floated the idea around for a while that – I mean I think you went back into the Sean Daly days. That that at some point in time, we had to go back and redo Breakfast Club. That we – 14 minutes with no movie quotes in it whatsoever, uh, no special effects, no gadgets.
3: Well, and Steve, it sounds like you didn't do any research for the show either. <laughs> like it, I mean, you just come in cold to the topic. So I know you yeah. wanted to come back and do a better Yeah.
2: Show. So we've been talking about what would be the perfect time to redo um, The Breakfast Club. And then I think Brad came up with the idea. Then I think you and Marty and Drew came up with the idea that we should all sit down for the 10th anniversary and redo it. Yeah lock ourselves in the library
3: for nine hours.
2: (laughs) So Drew's not here, sadly, but he left a message for us. We'll we'll read it here in a few minutes. So Breakfast Club opens on February 15th, 1985. Um, It would become nominated for nothing, no awards whatsoever. Does anybody remember
3: what the movie was rated? I was surprised when I watched it the other night with my daughter to see that it's rated R. I just never thought about it.
0: I remember seeing the poster uh, months before it came out and saw that it was rated R and uh, and I th- I think that probably got me excited that it would be, like, interesting from a teenager's point of
1: view. I took my two younger brothers, so I was their chaperone.
3: Oh. You had to buy the tickets, huh?
1: Yeah.
2: I-, I know that Brad and I would have been old enough. Marty, how- were you 17 in 1985? I was I was 16. So did you sneak in or
3: did someone buy you tickets?
0: Oh, they just never checked. Yeah,
3: they didn't check at the theater's out here. I worked at movie theaters then and we could care less unless you look like you were three. Yeah. Or we wanted to or if someone was being a jerk then we'd be like oh really. Hmm. Yeah I don't think you can go see that movie.
2: No, uh, my, my theater was bad about it. they would check. I mean they would come around with the flashlight if you tried to sneak in there with, a, with the wrong wrong ticket. Dang. I got thrown out of uh, stir crazy. That's right. That's right. We're bad. Huh? <laughs> That's right. You don't want no shit either. That's right. Darn right. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Thrown out of Stir Crazy, the Steve I Spears story. Still can't, still can't watch it <laughs> to this day. It's such a,
0: it's a corrupting movie, you know, for for today's youth or 1980s youth.
2: I have rated no bad. idea what you're talking about.
3: Bad. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so, so rated R. It's, it, there's no nudity. There's no sex. So what does it get the rated R for? There's a fair bit of language. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
3: Well, they smoke dope. Yeah, that's probably it. <laughs> Smoking dope. Yeah, we're we're not old. Don't bla- <laughs> okay. don't blaze up in here, Wasteoid.
1: <laughs> Chicks cannot hold this smoke. That's what it is.
2: Does anybody here specifically remember seeing it in the theaters, um, and what you know, what their first reaction was? Carol, how about you?
1: Yeah, I, I it is carved into my memory. I was I was like twenty one. 1985, and my two younger brothers lived with my mom, and I, I had my own apartment and such. And so I went out, picked them up, took them to the theater, and we um, we watched it. And that, that night when we walked out to the car, um, actually, I, I was so interested in seeing this movie. I didn't have a car at the time. I, I rode the bus to a rental place so I could oh rent my a gosh. Car, <laughs> rent a car and pick up my brother's. Um, they were, they're your age. They were class of 85 and class of 87. And we went to the theater, came out and sat in the car and just talked about what a real movie that was about, about high school. It was, it was great. We loved it. For
0: me, I I just remembered like it was the first movie that actually spoke to me as a teenager, you know, at, on my level and wasn't like silly the way Ferris Bueller was, uh, you know, it's just um, it, it it blew me away. I was it was it opened my my mind that like you know somebody was making something for us, you know. Yeah,
3: yeah. I remember I went and saw it with my friend Ronaldo, the one guy that I'm in touch with from my California graduating class. We went and saw it at the Bray Mall. I remember the. I mean, I have just such vivid memories of the the uh, David Bowie quote. I'm like, oh wow, that's that's pretty deep, and then it blows up, you know. And I don't really remember much about, like, I don't have any specific memories of conversation we had afterwards. But I remember walking out of there and just being like, whoa, you know, that was yeah. that was real, man. That was <laughs> that, that
1: was real. It was. I'm kind of a credit person. I like to read the credits, and this was one of the very first movies I remember seeing John Hughes' name and and making note of that. I thought he's good. I want to watch for him. And then, you know, eventually then he had many more, you know, films, but I made a note of John Hughes.
2: I remember seeing it. I think at that time I was in a band. I think I've mentioned that a couple times. But um and we were looking for a name for our band, and strangely enough at some point in time somebody had actually used the term Breakfast Club. We should call ourselves Breakfast Club. And someone else had said, I don't know that we can do that. I think there's a movie coming out soon with the same title. And I remember saying to that person, there's no chance in the world that a movie called The Breakfast Club is going to be popular enough (laughs) that we can't still call our band the same thing.
0: How did you guys come up with Breakfast Club?
2: I think it was just one of those weird things that – it's just one of those things that you threw
3: around back in the day. Doesn't everyone have a big list of – Potential band names, I do. Yeah,
2: it was something like that. And we just, we were like, I was like, there's just no way. And then we went, and I think we all went to see it, the, the three members of the band together. And uh, I remember being afterwards, feeling two things. One, misled, because I really thought it was going to be a comedy, <laughs> like uh, 16 Candles. And then I just remember being really pissed knowing that, yes, this is going to be a great movie. and We can never use that name again. It's funny. <laughs> and so we switched to being Epic Trash
0: instead.
1: Long live epic trash.
0: Oh, I thought you were describing the the quality of your band. No,
2: sadly, it does actually. (laughs) It could could do both. both. Uh,
0: I guess the rumor I heard was that uh, John Hughes overheard a friend of his uh, kid refer to detention as the breakfast club, and that's where he got the name.
2: At my school, detention was always after school.
3: Um, Yes. I mean, there was detention after school, but then out here in California, there was Saturday and it wasn't school, but you had to come. And basically, they didn't sit in the library. though, They had to like pick up trash and stuff like
1: that. I have no concept of what detention was, boys. <laughs>
0: Do you know how popular I am? I'm so popular. Everybody
2: loves me so much at this
0: school. Poor baby.
2: <laughs> oh, oh <Christ>. no. <laughs> Please. Carol, I have to ask you this. You were 21 when this came out. I mean, yeah. that's kind of old to be...
1: Thanks. Careful, Steve.
2: Careful. I'm crafting this a certain way. Give me a moment.
0: <laughs> it's not working.
2: Um,
3: <laughs> you're not letting negative me. ghost <laughs> <laughs>
2: When I was 21 years old, when I was 21 years old, the last thing I probably would have wanted to see was a movie about high school.
1: Remember the part about me taking my brothers? Yeah, I do. But I mean, but yeah,
2: so you no, want I- to go or they want to go?
1: Uh, we all wanted to go. I'm I'm really close to them, and it was just a fun evening out. And they couldn't get in by themselves, so I took them. And and what a sister, what a great sister! I, hey, this is remember this is back in '85 when going to a movie was more than you know just watching a film. The, you know the dark room, the big cushy seats, the the popcorn, and I mean it was an event. It was an outing. So it wasn't just you know whatever was playing.
0: I just love that it spawned this big discussion between you the three of you. Do you remember what you guys talked about?
1: Um, I met with actually my brothers the other day, and we talked about that night, and they remembered the sushi being so odd and yeah, you know, feeling that it, it related to how they felt in, in high school. So I have more vivid memories about it, but, but it, was, it was a neat way for us to connect. That's cool. Yeah.
2: Um, Somebody who we wish were here today um, is Drew, or just Drew as we like to call him. But he did send a letter in telling us um, his thoughts on the movie and uh, his recent experiences uh, watching it with his daughter.
3: Uh, Brad, you have time to read? I think I could probably get through this. Drew doesn't use too many big words. So Drew says, hey, everybody. Sorry I can't be there with you on what is truly a great moment in Stuck in the 80s podcast history. Well, he's wrong about that. Well, you know. We all, we all make choices. But here are some comments I'm sure I would have said at some point. What are you talking about, Brad? Oh, my God, Marty. You and your cats. Carol, you're so crazy. <laughs> okay, seriously. To me, what sets The Breakfast Club apart from all other films isn't just a scene, but the people. Hughes did such a fantastic job in exploring each character. And slowly throughout the film, we find out what motivates them, what they fear, and why they act the way they do. We even get a little bit of Vernon's story, as told by Carl when he catches Vernon going through the teacher files. There's a universality to the archetypes in the film that we can all identify with. Eh, Maybe I was wrong about the big words. Uh, Though I wanted to identify with just one character, I felt a connection to parts of each character, like a color wheel where the edges blur and are not strongly defined. I think even though I was clearly a jock, it was Brian the Nerd who appealed most to me, because in high school, everybody feels slightly like an outcast. Due to that universality of characters, The Breakfast Club still holds up. My daughter, the 80s progeny, lists it as one of her favorite films. The Breakfast Club is about finding inclusion, and it let us all feel included, which is why I feel Stuck in the 80s is a lot like The Breakfast Club. We find that, despite our various adult lives and the all-day detention of being a grown-up, this show gives us inclusion and a shared experience of a wonderful decade. Congratulations to Steve for his dedication to our decade and his willingness to share that love with all of us. You have made it for us a cultural touchstone. Listening to Stuck in the 80s is a lot like spending a sacred Saturday together in a library, finding our common ground. Signed, Just Drew.
0: All right, when do we start smoking dope?
3: Uh, we have to go to <laughs> Spearcy's locker first. <laughs> Uh, I'm keeping it in my underwear. (laughs) Yeah, never mind. Pass. (laughs) Impossible, sir.
2: You know, when I was watching that scene, that question popped up into my mind. Did which of us actually smoked pot in uh, high school? I mean, I I will admit I did it. I mean, not all the time, but I I had tried it. Nope. Nope.
0: Nope. (laughs) Really? (laughs) I was totally straight edge.
3: Are you kidding? Yeah. Wow. Then I feel like a dick. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think you should. It's just a part of your experience.
0: Uh, Drew
2: mentions that he kind of feels um, a relation to each one of the characters. Do you think that was kind of uh, the intention of John Hughes was to write these characters in such corners so that we would find a bit of each of them in us?
0: I think he was more interested in humanizing every character as opposed to making them part of us. So, like, you know, when we see the jock, we see that there's more going on behind just wrestling and eating many sandwiches, you know. <laughs> <laughs> what about those potato chips, though, man? <laughs> <laughs> so, Marty, if
1: if there were a character, which one were you?
0: I think that everyone is always going to say Anthony Michael Hall, you know, or Brian. Uh, just because he was the, the most nerdy and i think we all felt most i think everybody in high school felt uncomfortable you know in their own skin to some degree
3: yeah and i suppose you could say that if you're willing to sit down and talk on skype about the breakfast club yeah you're probably kind of a dork <laughs>
1: <laughs> shut up <laughs> if
3: everything works I, I know you have feelings too and they hurt just as bad when someone steps on them what about you carol
1: um, I thought about that. I was probably more like Andrew, the athlete, just because he was kind of more agreeable and social and got along with everyone. Um, not too confident, but you know, I, I I liked him. But come on, as a girl, I I loved Claire's style. When I saw that, I I thought, wow, look at those clothes. I saved my money. I bought, you know, Calvin Klein jeans. I loved the Ralph Lauren. I, this is totally a chick thing. But at the end, her nail polish, I had to go out and get that mauve nail polish.
0: (laughs) Did did you learn the lipstick trick as well?
1: Well, we won't talk about that.
0: Oh, man. Come on. on. (laughs) Just answer the question, Carol. (laughs) Just answer the question.
1: No, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> Me either. No, I thought I thought Molly Ringwald looked beautiful in that movie. I
3: had to rush out and buy the 30th anniversary uh DVD so I could get the commentary track, which is actually it's okay, it's not great, but they rushed out and bought all of her wardrobe at Ralph Lauren in Chicago.
2: Yeah. Wow. So the 30th um, anniversary DVD does who does the
3: commentary? It's uh, Anthony Michael Hall and Judd Nelson. Just oh, the two the of them. Yeah. It's and it's okay, uh, you know. I'm kind of with uh, Drew in the sense that
2: I I don't know that I gravitate towards one character that I associate with I mean I totally get Marty's um theory. I think that it's natural to say, you know, we're all the the nerd and, and everybody felt insecure in, in high school. I certainly have a certain amount of relation maybe more today to Allison uh played by Ally Sheedy just because I have that sort of hermit uh motif going on in my life right now. I don't think I was ever probably John Bender.
1: (laughs) My brother was John Bender.
2: (laughs) And I think to some degree, I have a a bit of sympathy even for,
3: uh, you know, Principal Vernon these days. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting to watch it as an adult and see his actions. I don't deal with everybody else's kids, but I deal with my own kids. We can talk some more about that later. But for me, yeah, Brian. Brian then. Brian now. Brian. Call me Brian. My name is Brian. (laughs) I completely map onto Brian. I understand exactly how he felt about his grades. I understand exactly how he would feel if he didn't get the grade that he wanted. The helplessness that, you know, like, what can I do? Well, there are a million things he could do, but you just are so vapor locked that you can't get out of it. Yeah, I I totally got Brian.
1: Do you punch punch your shelf in the shoulder when you finish the podcast? Uh,
3: No, but I will tell you when I finish a little project, like if I'm doing a video for my kid's volleyball team or something like that, I'm always like, yeah, that was awesome. Let me tell you how awesome that thing I just did is. I get really (laughs) cranked up on it. So, yeah, I
0: totally do get it. You say one more thing, I'm going to beat the shit out of you.
2: (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's a a movie that has so many great quotes. And when you look at – People's uh, favorite list of quotes. I mean, it's it's impossible, really, to to, to narrow it down to five or ten. I know I asked each one of you if you had a favorite scene. Carol, what is there a scene to you that stands out personally?
1: Um, in general, my favorite scenes are between Claire and John. I totally see an underlying attraction there. You know, they shared st- several glances, and you couldn't ignore me if you tried. I, I just I don't think high school boys knew how to flirt. You know the the comment about elephantiasis of the nuts. <laughs> um. Did you find Jud Nelson a- attractive? Actually, other than a few times where his hair looked weird, I thought you know he's got beautiful eyes and you know yeah. Um. I think it all kind of came together for me though when she walked into the storage closet when he wasn't expecting her. And she kissed him. And I just love that comment. Cause you knew I wouldn't. Why'd you do
2: that? Cindy, you wouldn't.
1: You know how you said before,
0: how your parents used you to get back at each other. Wouldn't I be outstanding in that capacity?
3: What about you, Brad? Is there a scene that like stands out to you? Well, there are a couple. The first one is, um, when, Bender and Vernon are getting into it, and it's just this kind of battle of the wills in the library where Vernon's like, You want another one? You know, and Bender can't, he can't walk away from it. He can't get out of the situation. He knows he's just, he's just torching down his own house, but he can't walk away from it. I've seen that happen with my own kids where they're so mad, they just, they just keep digging the grave. And, Vernon's not being a, you know, Vernon has an opportunity there to be the grown-up, and he doesn't take it, and he just, like, flamethrower on, and, you know, when he walks out of the library, and there's the, the score lifts up, and there's the, you, that's just this epic moment in the movie, but there's a brief, like, a half a second where they show Vernon's face, and he knows he screwed up. You can see in his face, like, I didn't handle that well, I'm the grown-up, and I didn't do it, it's all right there, and it just flashes across his face. Eat.
0: My shorts. You just bought yourself another Saturday, mister. Oh, I'm crushed. You just bought one more right there. Well, I'm free the Saturday after that. Beyond that, I'm going to have to check my calendar. Good, because it's going to be filled. We'll keep going. You want another one?
2: Say the word, just say the word. Instead of going to prison, you'll come here. Are you through? No. I'm doing society a favor. So? That's another one right now. I've got you for the rest of your natural-born life if you don't watch your step. You want another one? Yes. You got it. You got another one right there. That's another one, pal.
1: Cut it out.
0: You through? Not even close, bud. Good. You got one more right there. You really think I give a shit? Another. You through? How many is that? At seven, including one when we first came in, you asked Mister Vernon whether Barry Manilow knew that he raided his closet. Now it's eight. You stay out of it. Excuse me, sir. At seven. Shut up, Pee Wee. What about you, Marty? Well, I love the lunch scene, and like from a writing point of view, it it couldn't be any better. Like everyone is eating what that character would eat. And <laughs> it, it's, it's amazing. Uh, but I think that my the, the scene that really sort of distills a lot of themes in the movie is when Carl. When Judd Nelson asks him how how you become a custodial, oh, get into the custodial <laughs> arts, and then he tells him off in a, a very eloquent way. And I think as a, one of the core themes is how nobody really listens to teenagers, or, or that's how teenagers feel like they're not listened to. And Vernon doesn't listen to them. Their parents don't pay attention to them. But then, when Carl says, you know, that he's the eyes and ears of the school, he's he's also saying that you know I'm. I listen to you. I might not like you, but I appreciate you and, you know, you guys exist. You know, and I think that you see Judd Nelson smile after that. And I think that's, it's a good moment between adults and and teens. Uh, Carl? What? Can I ask you a question? Sure. How does one become a janitor? You want to be a janitor? No, I just want to know how one becomes a janitor because Andrew here, is very interested in pursuing a career in the custodial arts. Oh, really?
2: You guys think I'm just some untouchable peasant, serf, peon, you know?
0: Maybe so. But falling a broom around after shitheads like you for the last eight years, I've learned a couple of things. I look through your letters, look through your lockers. I listen to your conversations. You don't know that, but I do. I am the eyes and ears of this institution, my friends. By the way, that clock's 20 minutes fast.
1: Yeah, and at the end when Brian walked out and said, you know, see you, Carl.
3: Yeah, he agno- he doesn't acknowledge him in that one when he says hi to him. He's like, oh, really? You're going to talk to me in here? But then by the end of the day, he's like, yeah. hey, yeah. So I w- I want to mention something real quick here. When you when you I saw this and I saw that scene, I was on my kids' high school campus earlier this year for something. I had a meeting with a teacher, and I'm coming onto campus as schools getting out. And if you're an adult who's not a teacher, and the kids don't recognize you. You are invisible, and they will <laughs> talk about everything because they just assume nobody can hear them. Because you know, well, oh, that's interesting. Oh, mm-hmm, that's interesting. So yeah, Carl knows everything about those kids. <laughs> So, you're a little Carl now? Like back then you were Brian, now you've you become Carl? Uh, you know, I, I'm not afraid to push a broom if a broom needs pushing.
2: <laughs> you know, to me, some of the, my favorite scenes are the ones that don't have lines at all. It's um, moments that aren't spoken. It's a glance from one character to another, or a leer, or an empty gaze. Um, yeah. It, it's Emilio Estevez playing with the strings of his hoodie, <laughs> or uh, Judd Nelson playing air guitar, or. Um, Ali Sheedy making it snow on her drawing by shaking dandruff on it. <laughs> you know, that's, they – um, That's Parmesan cheese, by the way, that was used yeah. for that.
1: Mm, delicious.
2: Think um, about that next time you have spaghetti.
0: They had like three weeks or so of rehearsal, which is not really done these days. But they got to really develop their characters. And I think that it really, really shows. And I think this is like for each of these actors, it's probably my favorite role
3: that they've ever done. That's I something they right, talk Marty. about in the commentary track, Marty. They actually both Anthony Michael Hall and Judd Nelson are like it was great and and Judd Nelson says several times I thought they were all going to be like this. <laughs> oh man, that's there's some pain
2: in that sentence.
3: Yeah. yeah. And, they, and later in the in the commentary track, they both say, you know, we would have done anything for him. And John Hughes almost fired
0: Judd Nelson. Really? Yeah, because in the rehearsal stage, like he was Very much in character, and would antagonize Molly Ringwald, even when they weren't rehearsing, and because I think it was sort of a method thing, and so and it really pissed John Hughes off, and then they all the cast had to like talk to John Hughes and say, you know, it's it's all right, you know, it's just a thing, so yeah,
3: Mm -hmm. it's called pretending, (laughs) acting here.
2: (laughs) I think I think the movie starts to turn a little bit when they begin to bond. What would you say was the moment that, where the bonding starts to begin between the characters? Is it, is it the mutual enjoyment that they start to have when each person gets their own turn being insulted?
3: Or is it the whistling scene or, I or think what? the
1: circle of truth.
3: That happens way before that. Way before that, really? I think. Yeah, when, I think- when he comes in to see why the door closed and immediately Molly Ringwald, who's been getting nothing but crap from Bender... Back stops and was like, I don't know what happened. And everybody – everyone goes into us versus them. We're the tribe. He's not. Right,
0: right. And and she has the choice. She can either call him out or not and she did, She picks her side then. That's a good call.
3: I
1: like that. That's just kids being kids
3: though. They're going to – But that's when they start to realize. That's when it starts to come together. They haven't – they certainly haven't let their walls down yet by any stretch of the imagination. But that's when. that's when they chose. I think the pot scene – You know, for some reason, I think
2: at that point the bonding kind of breaks apart because they're all now they're sharing their fears. Um, The crying starts to begin, except for Allison. Except for Allison, she doesn't smoke the pot. She's well. She is an infomaniac. She's got other qualities. (laughs) But the bonding breaks a little bit. But maybe it needs. It's almost like an episode of Love Boat. You know, where it builds up for the first forty-five minutes, (laughs) and chaos hits, and then in the last ten minutes, everyone gets together again before they get off the boat. (laughs)
0: Um, well, I mean, clearly John Hughes structured all his movies based on uh, the Love Boat and Fantasy Island. You know, how, how would Mr. Rourke solve this? And-
2: <laughs> well, even Sixteen Candles has the short little lady who could be tattoo. That right.
3: <laughs> yeah, the, the organist. Oh, I need the a drink. <laughs> So one of the things I notice in the way that this is structured that I just hadn't really thought about, if you'll notice when every point in this movie, when you get to this big influx, this big tension point, like after the, the Bender-Vernon uh, confrontation, it goes right to a montage. And it just he, – he like – he puts he puts the heavy stuff in there and then he comes way off the gas. It goes to a very light place. And like right after the the cigar burn thing, they're doing the run through the hallways. And right after the circle of truth as you called it, then they have that dancing montage. I think it's interesting how he builds the film uh, in a way that he's like – he's laying all this kind of heavy stuff out there but then he lightens it up a little bit.
0: Yeah, I, I... – and it 's like a, a a pressure valve, sort Yeah. he 's releasing the steam yeah. and and there are those surreal moments you know with Emilio Estevez shattering the the, the yeah. glass door yeah. and I, I how just,
3: much pot did he smoke
0: in there <laughs> I think it's great, I think it's like you know it's the same a little bit of the slapstick that was yeah. in his comedies It makes is it in work theater. yeah, totally you know John
2: Hughes is on the record saying that that 's the one scene he regrets the uh, the glass breaking at the end of his uh, little footloose dance scene yeah. Whatever, Hmm. someone like John Hughes is gonna is gonna take a movie like this that he obviously has a lot of love for, and he's gonna nickel and dime his decisions to death. I'd be surprised if he didn't say, "Oh no, no, I really like the way it is. I wouldn't have changed a thing."
0: Oh, you know, there is a two and a half hour version of cut of this, and uh, you know, John Hughes wanted it to be longer, and there's some dream sequences in there, Uh, but then the the studio made him. keep it it short and they destroyed the negative but somewhere in the Hughes household uh, there is a version of this movie that is two and a half hours long that uh, that's really interesting
3: because I I felt like wow this is you know it's 90 something minutes it's pretty short and I have to say now that you've said that I have to take some of this back because I'm like I feel like wow John Hughes respect you know you didn't feel like you had to make this a two and a half hour movie you could tell a story in 95 minutes it's all there you know no fat, all meat, go team
1: <laughs> I, yeah i heard um, I heard uh, Molly Ringwald talk about the scenes where during the the napping sequence where they had their own little fantasies and she was in a wedding dress or something whoa, yeah. so.
0: so how well do you think it the movie holds up today?
1: I like it i I think it 's pretty basic, you know, people getting to know each other kids may have different technology and things like that now but you know there's still that you know do they like me can you know i think it's i think it's pretty true to today's you know life
3: so i i did some field research with actual teenagers Uh, i taped my daughter to the chair um i my daughter and i watched it together the other night and she'd seen it we actually the three of us my two kids and i watched it when they were i think when they were freshmen and the reaction i got then was my daughter turns me and is like well that got dark uh (laughs) but this time i'm like so what do you think is it hold up does that does it ring true to you does it feel like an old movie or is it does it feel contemporary she's like no it really does feel it's like i i feel like it's a contemporary story it doesn't feel dated uh so i would say yes it holds up if it's still meaningful to you know suburban white kids today
2: <laughs> well, that's an interesting point suburban white kids i mean
3: well that's the only ones i have in my house
2: so. <laughs> yeah i think the way you look at the movie evolves over the years i mean obviously it speaks to you more um as a confused teenager when you see it in 1985 as opposed to 2015 now i look at it and from a completely different perspective, obviously, I gravitate more towards um, themes where they lament. Um, I don't want to grow up and be like my parents. Um, when you grow old, your heart dies. You know, stuff that I kind of kid around saying every once in a while. Who cares? But, but you sort, <laughs> <laughs> but you sort of know that there's a little bit of truth in that. And um, I think that's what I see it now. And I also look at the principal Vernon character, and I have a little bit, you know more compassion for where he's at. I mean, when he sits there and talks about, I earn $31,000 a year and I have a home. What did you want to be when you were young?
3: When I was a kid, I wanted to be John Lennon. Carl, don't be a goof. I'm trying to make a serious point here.
2: Carl, I've been teaching for 22 years and each year, These kids get more and more arrogant. Oh, bullshit, man. Come on, Vern. The kids haven't changed. You have.
0: (sighs) You took a teaching position because you thought it'd be fun, right? Thought you could have summer vacations off. And then you found out it was actually work.
2: That really bummed you out. These kids turned on me. They think I'm a big f***ing joke. Come on. (laughs)
0: Listen, Vern, if you were 16... What would you think of you?
2: huh? That was a throwaway thing to me in, at, in when I was 17, but it's, right. it speaks more to me today.
0: It, it's totally true. Like there's part of me when I watch it where I'm instantly transported back to uh, when I was 16 and saw it for the first time. But then also there are those moments, like you said, with, where these, these adult problems that were always there are more relevant to me now. Like when Allison says, you know, you can't avoid it. Uh, turning into your parents, you know, mm. like, it's just like, no, you, you can't really. <laughs> but back then you're just like, not going to happen <laughs> to me, man. You know
2: what else is really smart about it? And I don't know if Hughes thought this much into it when he wrote it, but it does, it does largely take place in one room. It's a library. It There's no outside context to what's going on. So that helps yeah. in my mind, keep it timeless. Yeah. You don't have interaction with cheerleaders there's not a prom going on. There's nobody walking down the hallway talking like a Vow girl. Yeah. There's no. I mean, it's it's just it's just this many people in one room for ninety minutes. You yeah, know. it's and, the
3: teen version of my dinner with Andre. Exactly.
0: exactly. And and high schools have uh, adopted this as a as a play and they they perform it. You know, and which is says something about its timelessness.
2: Good point. You know what else is really timeless? The segues. Ah, uh, by the sound of the tone, it must be time for reader mailbag. And uh we're lucky enough today to have a couple emails from people who are also celebrating ten years of Stuck in the Eighties. The first one is actually an audio letter from Robert Jordan, who keeps the ultimate archive of Stuck in the Eighties. He's got a spreadsheet with every show, what we talk about, what the stories are, who the he's, guests he's are. He's not a stalker.
3: Are. He's totally not a stalker. No, he's not a stalker <laughs> at
2: all. Thank you, Robert.
1: <laughs>
3: But uh, no, it's
2: the ultimate source. Anytime I need a question about when did we talk about baloney or the baloney boats even more, he'll always know. Um, So here is uh, Robert Jordan's voicemail message for us. the fact that we had to sacrifice 25 years in detention for everything we did in the 80s. But we think you're crazy to make us write an essay telling you who we think you are. We see you as we want to see you, in the simplest terms, in the most convenient definitions. But what we
3: found out
2: is that each one... Hey, it's your old pal Steve Spears. This is Gina Vibnetto. Hi, it's Sean Daly.
1: Hi, I'm Kathy Wass.
2: Hey, hey, it's Brad. Brad in L.A. Does that answer your question? Sincerely yours, fans of Duck the 80s. 80s. Forget about
3: me. Ciao.
2: Ah, oh, thanks, Robert. Yeah, that's nice. We also have um, a letter from Padre Paul in the Twin Cities. Brad, you have the honors.
3: Let me see if I can do Padre Paul some justice here. Um, Padre writes, or Paul, I guess we should call him, or maybe sir. Hi, guys. I wanted to chime in on your 10th anniversary. Feel free to stop reading. I'm a priest, so I'm used to people checking out after a minute or two. Uh, did, Did you say something, Paul? I was born in 1977, so I was a child in the 1980s, but I'm obsessed with the decade. My car radio is on 80s on 8 or first wave all the time. Good memories of growing up, TV shows, movies, pop culture, and everything just seemed better. Now music is just so awful for the most part, just unlistenable. The podcasts are great. Some of my favorites are the Horrible Hits. Really... Horrible hits you could do the entire year of 1989. But I digress. The interviews are some of my favorites, even Huey Lewis. Toughest one for me was Cindy Lopper. She just came across as such a jerk. The best was the recovery episode as he worked through the breakup. I may be a priest, but I did date for a time in college and high school, and I went through some horrible breakups and rejections that were pretty painful. It's important to work through emotions, and that episode was really powerful as you let it all out there and let the listeners in to help. Really, it's the perfect show. You have fun. You get some great interviews, you have great segments, and the banter is very good. Thanks for the hard work on this show. It really is appreciated for the editing, the guests, the thought that goes into it. It's the best there is, so keep on doing it. All the best, Padre Paul in the Twin Cities.
0: So the banter is just very good, not great.
2: Well, you know, we've got to have yeah.
3: something to improve on, right? You can't <laughs> give everyone A pluses across the board.
2: Our next letter is from Matt Regal, and Carol's going to
1: read this one. Okay. Spearsy. How can it be that 10 years have passed since you started the podcast? That reminds me that I should have written to you a long time ago. I've been a loyal listener since May of 2007, and I haven't missed an episode since. It's been really cool to hear the show evolve over the years from the early episodes with Gina Vivanetto, Kathy Wass, and Steve Persall. Listening to the show for seven hours each week, I have a three and a half hour commute twice a week, believe me. Uh, Matt, I can relate. I got to know everyone, and you quickly became a part of my community family. So, when the time came for Sean to leave the podcast, I have to admit I was a bit concerned about how the show would go be going forward. Brad was a somewhat familiar contributor to the show, but I had no idea how he would be on a weekly basis. Me either. The the first few shows you guys had together were a little different as you both figured out your chemistry, but I, along with most listeners, was still happy to have my weekly fix of the 80s. So Brad isn't Sean Daly. So what? In fact, it's probably best for the world that there's only one Sean Daly. Brad brings a whole other set of knowledge to the podcast and contributes in areas that had not been covered so much previously, i.e. West Coast music and the most fun band ever. Boingo boingo. I know that these podcasts take a lot of time to produce, and I can't thank you enough for the gift that is each episode. I hope you understand just how much of your listeners in Stuck in the 80s family appreciate what you do. You freely share your knowledge, experiences, both good and bad, and on occasion, we get to hear the details of your personal life. That is not something a lot of people will do, and I think that but that, that is why people really connect with the podcast. Your honest excitement and enthusiasm for all things 80s is genuine. And that comes across in all that you do. Thanks, Steve, for all you do to keep the 80s alive. Still stuck in the 80s, Matt Regal. Oh, that's nice.
3: My new best friend, Matt. <laughs> I know.
2: I know Brad's getting misty over there. Mm. Um, uh, let me let me take this next one. Here's a letter from Gary and Gilroy. I'm going to take the shortest letter there is. I see how you are. By design. Gary writes, Congrats, gentlemen and ladies. Uh, a decade of the decade. Nicely done. I'm going to compliment you in the general sense on the interviews with the stars of the 80s. Uh, Deb Gibson, Martha Quinn, Brian Johnson, Kenny Loggins, Thomas Dolby, Jim Kerr, Hojo, Huey, Wopat, all the rest. <laughs> Maybe not so much Wopat. <laughs> I digress. Uh, I recently re-listened to the Richard Marks episode. A great episode that I've forgotten about that definitely deserves kudos. Anyone who hasn't listened to this one needs to go to the archives now. I love hearing my heroes, even though they're not stuck in the eighties anymore. I'm talking to you, Klaus from Scorpions. But we are keep not t- stuck in the eighties. <laughs> but you're not all. The- <laughs> <laughs> you listen to our new album. <laughs> uh, keep them coming, Stephen Brad. P.S. I'd love if you get Kathy Watts to join you again sometime soon. Gary and Gilroy with a new bottle opener. My precious. Richard Marx was a fun. Episode. Yeah, that,
3: that's one that I that stands out in my mind too because it was someone that I honestly I could have cared less, could not have cared less, could not have cared less about in the 80s. But it's a really interesting interview. He has a lot of stuff to talk about.
1: Good stories.
3: I like, yeah,
0: I love the Brian Johnson one. I still relate yeah. stories from that to other people.
2: Oh yeah, yeah. When he tells the story about writing uh, Hell's Bells, yeah, and he starts scene. writing the he, he starts reciting the lyrics and then we we kind of loop the song in underneath it. Ah. Oh. Come great.
1: on, look. I mean, sorry to interrupt their letter reading here, but look back at all like, ten years you have interviewed so many. Let me let me just ask you, Steve, who stands out to you as one of your best interviews? You've, you've had-
0: Foreman. <laughs> um,
2: Deborah Foreman was unique, obviously, because she was in the breakup episode, and and it was, she was so unexpected. Yeah. And, and it. And it, it uh,
1: but Steve come on, you have got yeah, Steve, Steve Perry. Perry. That that jumps to the top of my list.
2: Yeah. I put so much time into that one. The um, and then there's the ones that you never, you just don't know are going to be good. and They end up being good. Like Kenny Loggins is yeah. a really fun one. to listen to. Well, you guys really are stuck in the '80s. He sang to us. I mean, you can't ask for much more than that. Yeah,
1: that's the kind of stuff that this podcast delivers. You know, to the audience, those interviews are amazing. Your list of people you've talked to is incredible.
2: Yeah, you know, I went back. We did interview Molly Ringwald. Couple years after we did the Breakfast Club podcast, it was uh, she was touring, wasn't she in Sweet Charity? Sweet Charity, yeah. And so it was me and the stage critic of the Times. We interviewed her, and 99% of the questions were about Sweet Charity because I think even her publicist had told us keep it on message. But we asked a few questions, but and I, I looked, I re listened to it today because I was hoping she'd said something about Breakfast Club, but she really didn't. She yeah. just
3: She's pretty prickly in that, if I remember correctly.
2: Yeah, she's she's a little bit, but I'm you know, I think she's she's evolved over the years herself and is much more accepting of the '80s nowadays. So, I would almost kind of like to get her on the show again and give it another shot.
0: Yeah, Ali Sheedy was saying that after you know she really loved the role of playing Allison, but then afterwards she felt that she was getting typecast and regretted doing the movie. But now looking back, she said it was like the best thing she'd ever done. You know, it probably was. Yeah. Uh, We
2: have more letters here. Here's one from Dave Dirt that Marty's going to read.
0: I've been trying to figure out exactly what to write, trying to come up with something clever and humorous. It just dawned on me, though, that I should just say thank you. These are obviously years that are very near and dear to us all, and I'm sure that more than a few of us have an 80s channel or playlist at the ready at all times. But as I've been listening these past couple of years and going back and re-listening even, it is just such a comfort. It helps bring back little stuff we might have forgotten, discover stuff we might not have heard of at the time, and it is just plain fun to listen to. It's my happy place. Thanks, Brad, for stepping in and filling the game show host loafers of Senor Daily, and for showing everyone that the show could be just as good with content. <laughs> True.
1: Thank
3: Sick you Sick burn, bro. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Thank you both for allowing me to crash the show to tell stories of somewhat obscure hair metal bands. But most of all, thank you, Steve, for keeping this wonderful show going and keeping us all here forever stuck in the 80s. Dave Dirt.
2: Oh, yeah. For those who don't know, Sean Daly now is a game show host on Home Shopping Network. So there you go. One other letter from the great, the original co-host
3: of Stuck in the
2: 80s, a message from
3: Gina Vivanetto. Brad, I think you're
2: going to take the honors on this one.
3: Yeah, I'm I'm just I'm thrilled that Gina wrote us a little note here i was talking to steve earlier this week about whether we could get her to come on or she could record something because if you go back and listen to those early shows which you really should just for kicks gina gina lifted steve up on her shoulders and carried him along snuggled him along and you know it, i think that everybody talks a lot about you know how sean Daly, the sean Daly years really kind of set this podcast up but there would be nothing for sean to come to if gina hadn't You know, sat down with Steve and got it started. So, I'm just... Yeah, she was awesome. I don't know, Gina. I've never spoken to her. But, Gina, I love you. If you ever hear this, thank you. I thank you a thousand times. So, let me read her letter here. She writes, "Uh, Happy 10th anniversary to the Stuck in the 80s gang, especially to our fearless leader, Mr. Steve Spears. What would someone turning 10 in the 1980s want for a birthday present? A Rubik's Cube? A Cabbage Patch doll? Atari 2600? Steve, I can't believe it's been a decade since you came to my desk at work and said, we should do a podcast about the 80s. Remember, we'd chat over IM about how much more fun and exciting life was in the 80s, the music, the clothes, the weird hair. Who knew there was a legion of people who felt like we did? You and I haven't worked together in ages. We really should catch up. I've been doing a lot of teaching, believe it or not, and I'm always writing, often about music. I got to interview Mark Almond of Soft Cell a couple months ago, and I'm angling for a chat with my beloved boy, George, now that Culture Club is touring again. Remember that Stuck in the 80s episode when you and Sean Daly teased me for loving the boy so much? I guess, like many Stuck in the 80s folks, I'm still a new waver at heart. Anyway, listen, Steve, I am so floored by what you've accomplished with this podcast. You've reached so many people and inspired lots of fun memories. I'm proud to have been a part of those first few dozen sloppy episodes when we were just finding our ways. So, congrats, Steve, and thank you. You've nurtured our little baby very well all these years. Happy anniversary, my darling. XOXO, your original co-host, Gina Vivanetto.
0: Aww. Oh, wow. That's
3: so nice. That's
0: really that nice. is great. So, is she in D.C.? Is that where she is? or She
2: was she... in D.C. for a little while. She's, I, th- I believe she's back in Tampa Bay now. But um, if you Google her, you'll, you'll see she's writing for a bunch of different uh, publications now. Great stuff. Oh, great. Really great stuff.
3: Very cool. And
0: have you heard from Kathy at all?
2: Kathy is now a librarian also in Tampa Bay. Um, she and I like, keep in touch every once in a while. Other people who have been co-hosts over the years, um, Eric Dagens is he's now – NPR, isn't he? Yeah, he's with NPR. He's their media critic. Wow. Um, Chase Squires now lives in Denver.
1: Hi, Chase.
2: (laughs) Oh, who else? Stephanie Hayes was on a bunch of shows. She's still at the the Tampa Bay Times. She's the entertainment editor now. Good times. Enough of the nostalgia. It's time to pay the bills. We'll be right back after this commercial break.
1: Hey, you. You don't watch that.
0: video music
2: in stereo 24 hours a day on cable mtv music television you'll never look at music the same way again
0: today we celebrate the first glorious anniversary of the information purification of we have created The old history, a garden of pure ideology where each worker may bloom, secure from the pests of any contributor to force. Our unification, of course, is more powerful a weapon than any fleet
1: or army on earth. We are one people, with one will, one resolve, one cause. Shall talk themselves on january 24th Apple computer will introduce macintosh and you'll see why 1984 won't be like 1984.
0: Cruise back to the 80s on the first ever 80s cruise. Seven days in the most radical party to ever hit the high seas with a totally awesome lineup of artists that define the sound of the decade. Join Huey Lewis in the News, Richard Marks, Starship, Cool in the Gang, A Flock of Seagulls, Modern English, Naked Eyes, Tiffany, Wang Chung, and Jesse's Girl, the Ultimate 80s Party Band, and the original MTV VJs, Nina Blackwood, Mark Goodman, and Alan Hunter. As we cruise to exotic ports of core like Grand Turk, San Juan, St. Thomas, and the private island of Half Moon Key, sailing from February 28th through March 6, 2016, for the most gnarly vacation ever. For more information, log on to the80scruise.com or call 844-384-8080. And we're back.
2: And we have a few minutes left. Actually, we have as much time as we want, really. It's a podcast.
1: Let's take the time. (laughs) Let's take the time.
3: It'll be anarchy. Uh, I'll stop (laughs) recording. Marty will stop recording. (laughs) I'm gonna read word for word the novelization of the Breakfast Club. <laughs> yeah. It do was have, eight a.m. Do you have it?
0: No. What day, oh,
3: man? <laughs> I just I, as a total aside, I just picked up the novelization of um, Ferris Bueller, and I just I'm dying to read how bad it is. <laughs> I just I want more about that in another podcast. But I always thought that was like my
2: big career break that if I uh, I could start doing that, creating novelizations of '80s movies that we love. But then I realized it's been, it's been done. Done. Yeah, so years
3: here's, here's, my,
2: here's my next question for everybody do 30 years later do people make too big of a deal about this movie is it dare i say overrated uh, yeah you know i
0: can answer that right now sir you know that'd be no no for me because sit down johnson
2: um where does it rank among uh john hughes's movies and 80s movies in general carol
1: um i think you can read into it all you want the the You know, you look online, there's character breakdowns and psychological debates and nature versus nurture. But I think it's really just about people getting to know each other. And I don't think it's so – I think it can be overrated, but I I like it.
3: I I don't think it is overrated, no. I mean I might have been – I might have been willing to say that maybe it wasn't the best – movie of the 80s, or like the number one movie of the 80s, until I spent basically the last 48 hours with it. Uh, and it's it's a great movie. Um, you know, Carol, you and I were talking earlier this week about how I had said it's not my favorite John Hughes movie, and I think I would say it's not my favorite one to like, hey, it's a Friday night, I'm tired, and I want to have a couple cocktails and throw a movie in the DVD player to watch, or on my scre- streaming device, or whatever the hell it is. But You know, I'm much more likely to sit down and watch Ferris Bueller because it's funnier. But Breakfast Club is a great movie, and I don't think it's overrated at all.
0: I think that it uh, it really holds up, and I wouldn't say it's a movie of the '80s more as a a great movie that was shot in the '80s. You know, Mm -hmm. it it doesn't really uh, Mm -hmm. like like we said before. There's a timelessness to it that I really appreciate. Um, like you know i can 't even remember any songs except for the simple mind songs, you know, but the what it 's the actual characters and story that that really uh linger in my mind um and i can 't think of a, a movie since then that really captured that uh that same sort of teen angst that that we all felt back then
1: yeah, Christ. just take taking time to get to know each other
0: yeah.
2: I think it's one of those kind of movies that um, if you 'd asked me five years ago, I might have said it was overrated um, when I was kind of going through my surly period, which last <laughs> three hours here. ago <laughs> was yeah, it lasted from season four till about uh, two o'clock this afternoon the um When I saw it again today for, for the f- first time in a while i I kind of dropped that attitude about it it it's definitely a great movie it's it, it maybe isn't. The kind of movie like if you had a choice between this or Back to the Future, I think I'd as something to watch tonight on TV, I think I think I take take Back to the Future every time. Um I think Breakfast Club is the perfect movie for like a rainy afternoon, you know, when you're feeling uh, you know, introspective. When you're worried about your teenage kids. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't have teenage kids. And so I don't have the connection to it, you know, that Brad does.
3: Um it is it is a weird It is a weird space, Um, you know, when you see these kids are struggling with stuff and their parents are either willfully oblivious or just flat out don't care. And, you know, I, I feel like, you know, as a parent, I try and not be that way. I try and be as probably overly involved in my kid's life. But there's still stuff that happens that I don't know about. You know, I was talking with my son recently. We were talking about. You know, I made some comment about how junior high was really hard for me, and that it seemed like they did really well, and I was really happy to see how well they had handled it. And my son looked at me and said, "Dad, I didn't have any friends in eighth grade. I did not have." And I, he's like, "That's why I didn't ever have any homework because I just went to the library at lunch and did my my homework." And it it broke my heart. It oh. just broke my heart because I'm like, I am as connected to these kids as as any parent really can or should be, and there's still stuff that you're gonna miss, and that's just. You know, that's the reality of the experience, right? That's the truth behind being a high school kid. Right. Because your parents don't know everything. And to watch that movie again, you're like, yeah, that's, it's real. It is real.
1: Have you ever done it? I don't even have a psychiatrist. Have you ever done it with a normal person?
0: Didn't we already cover this? You never answered the question.
2: Look, I'm not going to discuss my private life with total strangers. It's kind of a double-edged sword, isn't it? What? Well, if you say you
1: haven't, you're a prude. If you say you have, you're a slut. It's a trap.
3: You want to, but you can't. And when you do, you wish you didn't, right? Wrong. Or are you a tease?
2: Did anyone here have a fear of... I mean, there's a lot made the movie about, I don't want to turn out like my parents. When... When you watch that now, do you sit there and think, God, did I feel that way? Did anyone here not want to turn out like their parents? Did anyone here like make a choice, like saying, I, when I grew up, I will not be like my parents?
0: I mean I'm, I'm very close with my parents and I love them greatly. But I, yeah, I, there, there, these parenting things that I, I thought, oh, I'll never do that if I'm a parent or, or when I'm an, an adult – I find myself being more and more <laughs> crotchety <laughs> like my dad and, you know, and just like dingbatty like my – oh, I shouldn't say dingbatty. Um,
3: uh, does your mom listen?
0: Yeah. yeah,
1: Distracted. Yeah. Distracted
0: like my mom. <laughs>
2: um, I think it's adorable to, to say dingbat
0: so, for what it's worth. All right. My mom's adorable.
1: Yeah. I di- at, at 17, I did not want to be like my mother. I did not want to be near my mother. But, you know, today I I aspire to be like my mother. So yeah. it's just about being a kid.
3: I mean, I think that I, yeah, I think when you're a kid, your parents are, how do you say this? They're, they are, you, you don't really have a lot of other examples maybe. So what they do is kind of like, that's the way to do it and that's who to be. And then as you get older, you start to maybe appreciate some of the decisions they've had to make and you see, you know, maybe a little bit more what they what they really are about So, you know, know, that's not really answering the question, but I think as a kid, I wasn't so afraid of it. As an adult, maybe I made decisions to not go that way. Here's the next
2: final question. I think this is an important one, and they address it in the movie, and we'll let the movie answer it first. We'll let Anthony Michael Hall answer it first. Here's what he had to say in the movie about what will happen at school the next Monday when the characters meet again.
0: I know it's kind of a weird time, but I was just wondering um, what is going to happen to us on Monday when we're all together again. I mean, I consider you guys my friends. I'm not wrong, am I? No. So, so on Monday, what happens?
2: Are we still friends, you mean? We're friends now,
0: that is. Yeah.
2: Do you want the truth?
0: Yeah, I want the truth.
2: I don't think so. With all of us or just John? With
0: all of you. That's a real nice attitude, Claire. Oh, be honest, Andy. If Brian came walking up to you in the hall on Monday, what would you do? I
2: mean, picture this. You're there with all the sports... You know exactly what you'd do. You'd say hi to him and when he left you'd cut him all up so your friends wouldn't think that you really liked him.
1: No way. Yeah. what if I came up to you? The same exact thing. You are a bitch!
2: Why? Because I'm telling the truth? That makes me a bitch?
0: No, because you know how shitty that is to do to someone and you don't got the balls to stand up to your friends and tell them that you're going to like who you want to like.
1: Okay, what about you, you hypocrite? Why don't you take Allison to one of your heavy metal vomit parties?
2: Or take Brian out to the parking lot at lunch and get higher? What about Andy, for that matter? What about me? What would your friends say if we were walking down the hall together? They'd laugh
1: their asses
2: off, and you'd probably tell them that you were doing it with me, so they'd forgive you for being seen with me. Don't you
0: ever talk about my friends! You don't know any of my friends, you don't look at any of my friends, and you certainly wouldn't condescend to speak to any of my friends! So you just stripped to the things that you know, shopping, nail polish, your father's BMW and your poor, rich, drunk mother in the Caribbean. Shut up! And as far as being concerned about what's going to happen when you and I walk down the hallways of school, you can forget it because it's never going to happen. Just bury your head in the sand and wait for your f-ing prom.
1: I hate you.
0: Yeah. Good.
2: Carol, what do you think happened on Monday morning?
1: Uh, I, I disagree. I, I have a theory about the kissing.
3: Ooh, I'll put that on a T-shirt. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Maybe I'm just being a girl, but those weren't people out drinking. They weren't tired or, you know, or under the influence. They were young, alert, aware, and they kissed each other. I I think that was special. I don't think that those moments when when Andrew and Allison and Claire, Claire and John kissed twice – I don't think those moments just get wiped away and forgotten on Monday. Um, I think that a kiss with someone that special in high school, I think that means something. Um, In my head, I play that Rick Springfield song, Just One Kiss. It only takes one kiss. That kind of nails it for me. I think sometimes one kiss is enough to ignite that relationship and keep that fire going.
0: Well, Claire and Bender, I can see them... Being a couple, but how would Andrew, who's such a conformist, explain to his father and all the other wrestlers like why he's with uh, the Dandruff
1: Girl? She cleaned up.
3: Yeah, I, I think does she, I does think she, she, she felt say that good way? About,
1: I think she felt good about herself. Hmm. Interesting. Hmm. Oh, I know. Anyway, I, that's my theory. I know. I identify
0: with. Uh, brian is because he didn't get the girl at yeah the end. yeah he got the paper
3: <laughs> he kissed his paper <laughs> the, the girl the the pretty girl told him he was the smartest one and then he got to write the paper i'm like this is my high school experience <laughs> <laughs> i'll write your paper you okay. can look at my notes yeah. i'll tell you yeah i'll tell you what you, are you willing to speak with me for 45 <laughs> seconds then yes i'll do it i was trying to explain to my daughter that that was a that was a transaction that i would willingly make every day of the week in high school and she's like what are you talking about like Sorry, that's just how it was, yeah. girlfriend.
2: I, I can tell you that there were times in high school where I kissed someone on a Friday or Saturday night, and I've totally forgot it all come Monday morning.
1: Mm.
3: Yeah, but you're a jerk, Spears. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was in some regards. Um, uh, we all are. I mean, that's another thing about these characters is they all they they're they're compassionate to each other, and then they're just jerks to each other because they're kids. They're not they're not fully formed yet.
0: Why don't you just answer the question? Be man? honest. No big deal. Yeah, answer it. Just answer the question, Claire. Talk to us.
1: Come on, answer, answer that
0: question. It. Don't be Come a on, jury. it's easy. It's only one question.
1: No, I never did it. I never did it either. I'm not a nymphomaniac. I'm a compulsive liar.
2: I know there's been talk sometimes about sequels to this movie. I think, I th- or even a remake, and I, I really hope that this movie kind of gets put into the same category as um, other movies that you just don't touch. That there's no reason – there's no reason for Hollywood to go back and remake this movie. I mean it's, it's like a – I don't want to get too melodramatic and say it's a Gone with the Wind or it's a uh, Citizen Kane. But in my mind, there's, there's certain movies that even Hollywood is smart enough not to touch. And I think this is – definitely qualifies as one.
0: I mean you might not want a sequel but you still want to know where these – how these kids ended up?
3: Do you really? I, oh. I do. I do. I have I, some I theories.
2: <laughs> well, let's go. Yeah, I I almost don't want to know. You know, I, I
3: like no, a lot of things. Turn off like, your ears. <laughs> turn off your headphones. Seriously, <laughs> I'm about to tell you. Go you feed the coordinate? cat. <laughs> <laughs> so here's here's my here's my uh, vision for what happens. To these five kids. So Bender graduated high school. And uh, he went to community college, and to pay for it, he became an apprentice electrician. Um, he made journeyman about the time he got out. He finished his two-year degree and decided that that was enough school for him. He was tired of listening to other people tell him what he needed to learn. But uh, after you know six months of clandestine glances and double entendres in the office, he started dating his boss's daughter. They got married. They had two kids, two girls. The youngest named Claire. Um, and John's now running the business. Uh, he's, uh, you know, he's a shrewd negotiator, um, surprises people that don't, can't see past the fact that he came from, you know, basically the project. Um, he's the guy who always puts his family first. Uh, he doesn't miss any dance recitals or any soccer games. Um, and the, even though now his girls are in college, uh, he'd never admit this to anybody, but he really misses the tea parties with his daughters and their stuffed animals. Oh, so that's what happens to John. You really put a lot of thought into this. I did. Allison went to a small liberal arts college. majored in women's studies, of course. Uh, After graduation, she spent her trust fund backpacking around Europe and Asia and ended up in Seattle. Um, She waited tables and knocked around the grunge scene for a while. But when Kurt Cobain shot himself, she suddenly remembered Brian and the flare gun. And she felt like she needed to do something to help kids that felt that desperate. So uh, she went back to school, got a master's in psychology, and now she works as a high school guidance counselor. Uh, she's married to her job and devoted to quote all five hundred of her kids, as she says. And she is, uh, you know, beloved by the students who are willing to drop their guard enough to let her in because of her earnest and thoughtful advice.
0: Jeez, yeah. How much does she have in her IRA?
3: <laughs> nothing. Nothing. She spent it all on her cats. <laughs> <coughs> so Andrew went to Oklahoma State on a wrestling scholarship, helped the Cowboys win an unprecedented string of national championships over collegiate power Iowa. Uh, He graduated with a degree in P.E. and a wife, married his college girlfriend. Uh, He was a successful high school wrestling coach for a while until uh, he overheard one of his students in the locker room mocking his frequent tirades about his team's intensity. He realized he was starting to turn into his father. So he walked away from coaching and went back to school, and now he works as a pediatric physical therapist.
0: I saw Emilio Estevez once at the library. He's a little fella.
3: Well, he, he he wrestled in one of the lower weight classes. Ah, I don't know why he was eating so much lunch though. He's going to move up a class. <laughs> <clears throat> so Brian made it into Princeton in spite of his B in shop. Uh, in fact, the experience was a cornerstone of his admissions essay. Uh, this essay elicited a response from the admissions officer: Princeton can use a guy like Brian. <laughs> <laughs> away from, <laughs> I got that. <laughs> Finally, away from his domineering mother, and with the help of his dorm RA Joel. He came out of his shell and enjoyed college. Uh, he graduated with a degree in engineering and went to work for a big construction firm in New York, traveling all over the world doing, you know, overseeing high-rise projects. Uh, he was married but is recently divorced. Uh, as his first love has always remained doing a work his wife didn't appreciate the constant travel or being perpetual second place to his job. Wow. Okay. starting to turn dark. Well, you know, can't, can't be super happy for everyone. Um, Claire went to NYU. She majored in liberal arts, uh, moved to Paris when she graduated. She was sure that her father's connections and money would guarantee her a spot someplace in the fashion business. Uh, that didn't pan out, so she moved back to New York. She dated a series of traders and Wall Street types. Um, she married when uh, she and her then-boyfriend discovered that she was pregnant. Um, she was comfortable in her well-funded life and remained willfully oblivious to her husband's fooling around until she was faced with evidence that he was also supporting a number of his mistress's children. Um, as a result, she's now a single mom on Manhattan's Upper East Side. She got the apartment and the divorce. Uh, she recently reconnected with Brian, surprised that he was also in New York. They met for coffee. Uh, both were armed with phantom appointments, should the meeting be awkward, but neither excuse was used, and in fact... Both were surprised at how much they enjoyed each other's company. Uh, Brian immediately went home and emailed his old friend Larry Lester. You are never going to believe who I just had coffee with. <laughs> never. <laughs> and that's what happens to those five kids. Uh, In my mind. That. Oh, that well, you really? How how long did it take you to figure that out? I worked on it for about an hour.
0: Genius. That's amazing. Fun. Very very good.
3: Well, I
2: want to thank every one of you for. Uh, for listening to the podcast for ten years and sending us these amazing emails uh and you know answering our seggies every week uh leaving facebook messages all the encouragement really means a lot and special thanks of course to to Carol Marty and brad for for joining us on this you know amazing journey here that culminates with finally giving this movie i think the roasting that it deserves. <laughs> Um, we're going to leave the podcast in a somewhat different manner today. Uh, we do always remain here, hopelessly stuck in the eighties, but this time I think we have a letter that needs to be written.
3: Make the nerd do it. Dear Mr. Vernon, we accept the fact that we had to sacrifice a whole Saturday in detention for whatever it was that we did wrong. But we think you're crazy to make us do a podcast telling you who we think we are. You see us as you want to see us in the simplest terms. And the most convenient definitions. But what we found out is that each one of us is an 80s nerd, an 80s nerd, and an 80s nerd, and an 80s nerd. Does that answer your question? Sincerely yours, the Stuck in the 80s Club. is a Class of 85 production. Please listen responsibly.
0: Enjoy
2: editing this one, Brad. (laughs)